You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. Today we'll be discussing the importance of prioritizing the individuation for teenagers. That was a mouthful. Yeah, it kind of yeah. works. Yeah, kind of sounds complicated. Water. How about the importance <laughs> of individuation for teenagers? There you go. Say that uh, five times fast. I know it's a lot. Well, there was a question that came in from one of our listeners. And so this was a great way to intro into the subject. So let me read a little bit about this text. This mom was wondering about checking her teen's text to confirm very strong suspicions that her teen was lying about an expectation that she has. Um, And, you know, it's hard as a parent to know when you should intercede and get involved in your kid's stuff. Uh, It's hard not to, because you're curious about what's going on behind the scenes. You're, you know, trying to control a little bit maybe and make sure that your kid's doing the right thing. So I can understand I've been there before questioning whether or not I should be invading um, their little area of domain because I was worried about it. Uh, So what if you're concerned about your kid lying about dating, drinking or drugs? Uh, she asked if it was better to pray about it and just ask that God reveal these things, or should she dig a little? I love what that do you think? because the praying and ask for God to reveal always assumes that <laughs> God reveals what we ask for, and he doesn't. You'll hear those stories of mm-hmm. God just told me, which is great, but I can mm-hmm. tell you as a therapist talking confidentially to teenagers, a thousand stories where God did not reveal. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not that simple. But mm-hmm. what I like about that email is that it's it's a very common a kind of fear, a kind of concern. I've got to do my job of making sure my teenager's okay. Now, that particular listener used kind of cryptic language. We don't know how old the teenager is, uh, whatever expectation means. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's a dating thing, worried about whether they're having sex or not. But what what strikes me about that is that, because I've had several of these conversations with different parents this last couple of weeks, is that there's a kind of talk that you get into, questions that you ask, if you really forget how essential individuation is. And individuation, as you remember, is the drive for a young adult to become fully an adult. That is the the inner sort of soul question that's asked over and over again, when will I be fully an adult? And how will I know that I'll be there? Because it's the individuation thing that is the reason why I I went ahead and uh, went ahead and wrote a book, because uh, people asked, well, why don't you write this into a book? And I was like, well, there's a lot of good books about teenagers, but it was because the books didn't put individuation up at the front at the top like it really should have. And so, um, and I just can't say that enough, because in this case, for example. Uh, the exam- The answer to her question, this listener's question, is A, it depends on the age of the kid. I almost never recommend monitoring texts. It virtually always end up with what I call white knuckle information, it's just news that you, you don't like it, but you don't can't really do anything about it. But mm-hmm. if you have a young teenager, you know, 13-ish, 14, then go nuts, fine, whatever. But you'll find that it really doesn't help much. And certainly by later, the basically the balance of how much they object to your uh, privacy, you know, invasion compared to the information you gleaned from it is rarely worth it. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't really have a kid after we 
yeah, gotcha. Now tell me the truth. Are you having sex with your girlfriend? Uh, you know, that doesn't actually happen. It, you're just stuck uh, making kind of accusations and monitoring. It doesn't help very much. So um, the exceptions to that, however, so number one is that you leave that to a teenager as, as much as you can because it, and announce it, by the way, like I used to be able to see your text, but not doing that anymore because you're too old. You need to make sure they know that you take seriously that you need to be an adult and we, you will arrive at adulthood in this family. And so, you know, that's, that's what this is all about. In that case, I have the concern that that listener is minimizing and, and kind of doing that. Well, I understand that we should uh, kind of back off some, and some parents think that backing off is a technique to help me control and invade my kids' privacy. No, it's a real thing. You literally respect their boundaries more and more. And so by the time you're 15 and 16, I just can imagine only about one scenario that checking texts is ever helpful. And it is when you have reason to suspect uh, drug and alcohol use. And in those cases, you even tell your kid, like, I'm going to start monitoring your texts because I'm concerned about this. But other than that, you end up with just bad news stuff that you come to them with, you know, I can't believe it had some parents that their kid had talked pretty inappropriately to a girl, like in his text. And, you know, they confronted him about it and it didn't really help that much. Uh, he was mm -hmm. more offended that they had, you know, looked at his text. So um, that makes me think that, you know, there's that safety thing that they're concerned about, but I think it's not balancing enough. Your teenager needs to know that we are for your adulthood here and you are getting to be an adult. It's so essential. It just, it gets into everything you hear about teenagers. So Dr. Ken, we've talked about control battle before. We, I believe we've had a whole episode on control battles between teens and parents, um, but you're kind of stepping into something totally different here with prioritizing their individuation. So explain that to us before we get going too far. Like how, how is this different? Yeah. Okay. So individuation is the sort of illness, if you will, it's the thing that makes a teenager a teenager. And uh, control battles is one of the primary symptoms of an individuation. So you really think about, and it's important to remember that when you're trying to minimize control battles, that's not just so you can be super more effective at um, controlling them. It is in recognition of, oh yeah, this kid is hearing our controlling as a, um, as a patronizing, disrespectful, uh, infantilizing kind of thing. And we want to try to minimize that because your teenager needs that. It cannot be set aside. Uh, and frankly, I told some parents this last couple of weeks, um, when a teenager isn't pushing for that at all, it really worries me. It's like, well, where is that? Because no teenager doesn't have it. They're either getting their needs met and they feel good about it, or they're super timid and really don't want to confront their parents. Maybe they're scared of their parents, but it starts squirting out in other ways. So you must be very upfront that we are going to be uh, ushering you into adulthood with us. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're just much weaker and your kid enters adolescence and adulthood much weaker. So this is that important. And this, so here's another bad habit I have. I listen to true crime podcasts. I'm sorry. I have no life. I'm a loser. But um, when you listen to these things, it's, it's surprising how often a crime against a teenager or by a teenager 
is related to their individuation need. For example, uh, it's not uncommon if, that you hear a story about some teenager, very often a girl, that is in a really uh, risky situation, out of the house, gone away with some older person, and it's because they, they complained that they were completely controlled at home and not understood. So it puts, sometimes that drive puts them in a, a situation to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it should be made sure that parents know that, you know, we always worry about a predator. Well, predators are certainly important with children and with young teenagers to some degree, but older teenagers and basically any teenager that has a good relationship with their parents, they're not a high risk for that, including mm -hmm. the individuation thing. But, and I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but individuation is so important that you can track in where teenagers have committed crimes, whether, for example, the main reason that they, teenagers report that they drink alcohol is to feel grown up. It's mm -hmm. not initially a whole, a big desire to drink, but it's part of, I got to feel this grown upness somewhere, somehow. And that's, of course, the cheapest and easiest way to do that. Anyone can dump alcohol down their throat, but, you know, it feels like we're all grown up here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the extreme, which I don't want to state, but it is true. I read about two or three teenagers. There was a girl in Texas who had her parents murdered. Mm -hmm. These are like religious people that no evidence of abuse because she felt they were over controlling and, uh, you know, so forth. And again, I don't want to say that, you know, you better let your kid have individuate, individuate or they're going to kill you. That's ridiculous. But <laughs> it just strikes me how this is in these situations all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it is a constant motivator for teenagers that parents must take seriously always. Right. I remember this in my own life. My grandparents were so strict and I was a good kid. Like I checked off all the boxes, you know, I was in, I was a varsity cheerleader. I was in varsity choir. I made good grades. I had a job, you know, like I did my chores around the house. Um, but I just felt like I was always on lockdown, you know, like I was, I was in jail yeah. <laughs> and they weren't ever going to let me out for parole. And I'm like, I'm doing the time of a, you know, of a crime I didn't commit. <laughs> and you know, that you know? situation, I was at a really large church in Arizona several weeks ago, and there was a big line of people after I spoke and there were several grandparents that were raising their grandkid mm -hmm. and all of them were doing that thing where they didn't understand individuation in the first place. And now with this grandkid, because they felt like they had failed with their kid, they're doubling down on yes. the mm. control. Yeah. And I, I remember saying in one line, there was three different grandparent couples that I had to say that very thing. Look, what you might be doing is you're worried that you failed in the first time and you're going to yeah. really make sure you stay controlled this time. And, and you're missing the primary thing that you fail both times, which is right. hard, hard news to deliver, but it's very mm -hmm. common. Right. For mm -hmm. sure. I knew they loved me, but goodness gracious, I just felt like, you know, I was suffocating and yeah, I was a good absolutely. kid, you know, so it was just hard to wrap my mind around. You That's know? why you started robbing banks and stuff, isn't it? That's is that right. The main yeah. Thing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're already doing the time. You might as well enjoy the might crime. Well huh? Exactly. <laughs> I know it's true. And I think too, uh, it depends on your parents and your upbringing, but if you've had parents that tended to be kind of controlling, you think, well, that's kind of your go-to. That's what you know anyway. And you think I'm going to do that with my own kids. I'm going to make sure my own kids don't get into trouble or they don't, um, you know, experience heartache or failure or whatever by making sure right. they do all these things right. 
uh, it ends up usually backfiring. I mean, even as simple as like suggesting that you like your child's girlfriend or boyfriend, or you don't like your child's girlfriend or boyfriend, they will go the polar opposite just to show you that you have no control. And, you know, that's truer than I wanted it to be. Uh, (laughs) Many, many years ago when I was at the Menorthmeyer Clinic in Dallas, about once a year, it doesn't happen now, but this is 20 plus years ago, about once a year, a Christian family would come with their daughter. And the first thing the parents would say is, now, Dr. Williams, we're not racist, but, and it was always that their daughter was dating a, a black guy. And, uh, and I learned two things. One, uh, how do you gently let these parents know that, uh, no, you are racist? Because mm-hmm. they were always like, well, we're trying to help them recognize this is going to be a problem in the future. Well, right. it will be if the world is filled with you. But, mm-hmm. but then the most diff- disappointing thing was that when I met with these teenage girls, I was always looking for the girl that is just genuinely in love with this young man who happens to be black. And, it, and, and it's so great we can support that. To my disappointment, I think it was virtually every girl I talked to, you would uncover with just a few questions her motive of, I'm dating the guy that my dad hates me to date, which was disappointing because I know they're obviously true. Uh, even 20 years ago, there were genuine you know, attraction and relationship between uh, mixed race, you know, teenagers. But mm-hmm. uh, as it turned out, you know, the, the, they were in fact pushing back on that very thing, just like you said, to to show their parents not um, some sort of racial lesson, but to prove to their parents that, see, you can't control who I date. So Dr. Ken, what are some signs that we as parents are not prioritizing this in our teens' lives? Uh, That's a really good question. I think one of the first signs is very commonly parents who like the book and like our podcast are, quote, giving over freedoms. But there's Mm -hmm. a way to give over freedoms with all these caveats. Like, you know, you, you don't answer to us about your room, but you have to do your own laundry. And if we find food back here, and, and I've had teenagers uh, you know, like not like it. They're like, this is terrible. Now I'm being given more rules. And, and so you don't emphasize the freedom part. You always talk about the caution. It's really mm-hmm. usually fearful parents. It's and, and the ones that over, uh, most all of us do, but overestimate the, their importance in raising this child. It's really about me, my ability to really discern what's going on, protect this child, all that stuff. And so the first one is when you're when you're really minimizing freedom, you can even say freedoms, but you don't really mean it. So that, that's the most common kind of sign of that, that you're um, you're still not communicating. And number two, you can kind of listen. Teenagers are kind of all over the map. But most of the time, if you've, quote, given freedoms and your teenager is just as irate as before and, and just hates talking to you, then you probably need to look back about, you know, what are some of the ways that I am not communicating um, that, that this is up to you? And, and that's most of the time uh, I've given you the freedoms, but I'm still talking like I'm the advice giver, the teacher, the reminder, the speech maker. And all of that says, uh, I didn't really mean it. You're not really a co-adult. You're, you know, you're someone that I still have to teach, train, remind, all that. And it just empties that bank account that you've put, you know, freedom in that helps them to feel that freedom. And you start emptying it by nickeling and diming them to death with little 
directions, reminders, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm raising my hand on that one because that (laughs) tends to be me where I have to rein myself in and I'm, and I realize too, I think you're right. Communication is a pretty good gauge of how much freedom and, um, autonomy your kid really feels right from you is that if they feel freedom and autonomy to make these decisions, then they're open with their communication with you about whatever subject it is. If it's dating or if it's how they keep their room or whatever it is, they're willing to talk to you about it because you're not going to tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. It's one of the reasons for that unfair um, preference that a lot of teenagers give to their dads, because, you know, uh, you know, you've, you've given them life and cared for them and all this. And suddenly they don't want you around, but where's dad. And, and Mm. that's commonly, we've talked about this before male communication styles take into account respect. And so they do not push. They just have a natural um, awareness of, I'm not going to push information. If uh, if you don't want to talk about it, Uh, I'm not going to teach you in a way that makes you feel infantilized. You know, very often that's at play. And you can end up with a dad, no offense, who isn't actually as good for that kid as the mom, but he talks to me more like with respect uh, and, and that just appeals to the individuation need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. You said that it's something in them that's natural and, and is going to be there if it's not already there, you know, by the time they become teenagers, just like the need when they're little, when they're babies, you know, like at a certain point, you know, that they're ready for solid foods, um, that this isn't a bad thing. And for us parents to be aware of it and prioritize them growing in that. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the hardest thing about the adolescent stage because all of the stages before this, there's a kind of implied benefit for the parent as well. Mm-hmm. When your children, when your babies need to be affected, affectionate, and held like my youngest grandchildren, uh, happy to do that. Thank you very much that you just yeah. want to hold them. Mm-hmm. And when they want to be taught, you know, about baseball, about all this, there's usually a parent that's happy to be involved and all that. This mm-hmm. is the stage where your teenager needs to not need you. They need yeah. for you to, for you to not be that important to them. That's the hardest of all. Oh, it feels yeah. like your heart is ripping out sometimes as a mom. <laughs> at the same time, you know, like what's the end goal here? You right. know, like That's we exactly want these right. teens that are adults that can live a successful life without my constant advice, coaching, nagging, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. control. And, you know, and, and you touched on it. It is so ubiquitous that if I have a teenager that is not pushing at all, that you know, he gets along with us fine. He's a very good boy. He likes being with us even more than his friends. And he's 17. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm like, where is, because not, not, why is he not having it? Where is it going? He has the need to be individuated. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, one of the worst is I've had a few kids that uh, establish their, they plant their independence flag in the area of sexuality and gender which parents cannot change and control unless they really want you to. And especially in the gender issue, you know, there's a whole army of social justice warriors in our culture now that will surround your teenager and, you know, talk about how, you know, just build a whole narrative of, you know, your teenagers being oppressed with some bizarre backward family and 
all that stuff. So um, mm -hmm. it, in those cases, when they've been a good kid, but all of a sudden declare, came out, uh, that's been some of the hardest I've had because, mm -hmm. you know, they really uh, will not establish that part of that motivation, if not all of it, is the, the uh, desire to demonstrate I have control over this, my inner sexual or gender kind of identity. You can't make me not do that. Mm -hmm. And so that, so if it's not there, if you're not seeing individuation and you just have a super sweet 17 year old or whatever that doesn't seem to want to establish their own autonomy, I'm a little worried about it. Okay. So if you have that kid who seems to be very content with letting you, you know, make all the decisions for them and they're not really driven to be independent. What do you do as a parent? You know, let's say that we're just starting to listen to this podcast and we're just beginning to think about this and our kid is 16 or 17. And we're saying, you know, that's my kid. They don't seem to be at all in need of individuating from our family yeah. or being independent or making their own choices. They're happy with letting us yeah. choose for them. What do you do? Well, very possibly the, the most common is you have an anxiety disorder kid, frankly, mm -hmm. but um, you start by really paying attention uh, because there are some things that you say that does bug her or him, but they, they you know, the, very often the kid has either learned or just doesn't have the temperament. They will not say anything. So a passive uh, cooperation is not the same as full acceptance. And so you look for those spots. Like when we said that, um, you know, you got to be in at 10, even though your friend doesn't have to be until midnight and you said, okay, do you mean okay as in you think that's a great idea or try to get them uh, safe enough to feel like, listen, I just want to, I really do want to know what you think. And, and it's hard for some kids. Some kids are so uh, steeped in their parents' playbook that mm -hmm. they don't really even know how to talk about things for themselves, which as I've said many times, makes them at great risk for being a passive sort of obedient adult. And that's mm -hmm. not, good. that's just replacing your parents with sort of a charismatic boyfriend or group or whatever that now I'm good at doing what I'm told. And now I have this other group, then I will do what they tell me. None of that is good. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, you, you start by listening and paying attention for it's in there somewhere. And then secondly, you try to encourage it by genuinely asking in a safe way. Um, you don't agree with that, do you? Like, don't, don't you think we're wrong about that? I mean, I'm not saying you can do it, but do you fully agree and press them a bit? Uh, it, start, it basically implies we know that we uh, cannot make you think certain ways. And mm -hmm. it's impossible that you just completely agree with us on all this stuff. And keep that's in mind, good. you may have a kid that's content because you are, in fact, giving over autonomy. And, don't, and I don't want to discount that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my kids were not angry at us all the time. Uh, we had some disagreements, but we did all this nutty stuff and we got along pretty well. Mm -hmm. well that's good. There are a lot of issues that I think you know, play out in my own home where I recognize that, and I was, you know, just thinking about it, a small issue, but that's going on in my house right now where my daughter's coming home late from work and things. And I've made her a plate of food and I'm like, Oh, here's your dinner. And she looks at me and it's like, I don't, I don't, you don't need to make me dinner, man. It hurts me. Cause I'm like, girl, <laughs> I made you dinner and I'm caring for you. And I want you to be healthy. And I want you to be a good athlete. And you can't do that on the snack food you're eating. I'll take you know? that. Jessica. <laughs> I'll come over. I'll over be there. That's such a mother thing though. Cause I it is. Know, as a dad and we're all going, we'll just stop making food for her. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm like, no, no, I fed you from the time you were a newborn. 
<laughs> this is my love to you, but I know what she's saying to me. And I've, I, I can read, read between the lines here is next year. I'm going to be out of the house and you're not going to be able to tell me what to eat, when, when to eat, uh-huh. who to eat with, you know, it's like you, you don't have that kind of control over me and I can decide whatever I want. It's little ways that I keep feeling like, well, I didn't even know that was going to be something we were going to discuss or have a, you know, I mean, we, I certainly didn't have that discussion with my son right. and, you know, I'm not seeing signs of an eating disorder or anything like that. It's not that it, right. she's not eating at all. She's just not eating the food that I've made only the food that I've bought for snacks and things. Um, <laughs> so there are a lot of times where I realize, oh, this is this is another area you want me to butt out of. Right. So, and as long as you don't try to guilt her by saying things like you're going to really have a rude awakening next year when you don't have my food. uh, (laughs) I might've said that. How do I take that back? (laughs) When you're eating dorm food, you're going to miss me next year. It's the the whole uh, character uh, of the, the old Jewish mother that you're not going to have me to kick around much longer. And That's going to be dead and you'll miss me. I do play that everyone. <laughs> In that voice. Yeah. Ask my Jewish friends. It worked great. It was great Apparently hey, by Dr. the way, Ken, all Jewish mothers are from New York. I don't know why I do that. <laughs> I have one question for you to wrap this up with. So you always seem like you're a teenage advocate. Like you are such an advocate for teenagers Um, I know my daughter is a huge fan of yours. Um, (laughs) Anytime I'm doing something she's heard me talk about, or we've talked about, she's like, well, I'm going to ask Dr. Ken. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so I feel like you're their biggest cheerleader, their biggest advocate. What do you think teens wish parents knew in helping them prioritize their individuation? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I am a great advocate for teenagers, but I, I want to make sure that, you know, I don't think they're always right. They're often wrong. Oh, for sure. Them. So <laughs> what I think they would want their parents to know is I can handle pretty much everything right now. And that's not correct, but that is how they feel. And so, okay. uh, you know, and, and to be honest, I'm a big fan and advocate for the teenager for their uh, individuation and being respected. So for the same reason that teenagers, probably your daughter likes where, uh, you know, if, if a parent's in my office and they're going, uh, so we, we did well through junior high, but then we had trouble in high school. I always stop the parents, usually a mother. And I go, we, are you in high school now? And both kids <laughs> love that. Because I went back. <laughs> it's advocating that, you know, you're not uh, joined with your parents. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when parents aren't in the office, I mean, I'll turn to them and go, you know, your mom's wrong. It's not her fault. This is all your fault. Why are you doing this? And they appreciate being treated with respect on both ends. Stop protecting and telling me what to do. But also most normal kids are ready to take responsibility for, dude, you okay with the way you just talked to your mom? No, but you know, that kind of stuff. So what they would want is to, for you to know that they are ready to handle pretty much everything. And when we tell them, well, you can handle this, you can, I'll let you do, you know, I'm, it's not time for you to do this. Then you just greet the parts that you can't let go of with an apology. I'm so sorry, but I mean, the state of Texas isn't even going to let me let you have no curfew until, you know, it's just sorry, but that just can't do it. So that we have the attitude of, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be yours someday. The, ne- the answer to what can, can I do this is never no. It's always not yet. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
That's good. Thank you, Dr. Ken and Ashley. This has been a good conversation. I appreciate you guys clarifying a few things for me about individuation and reminding me that this is an important step that I need to be better about letting go of. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.